Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 5 to 6, and in the previous episode, we read chapters 3 to 4, and oh boy, it has become a huge blunder. So in the previous chapter, um, you know, uh, Jason, Piper, Leo, and Annabeth came to visit Camp Jupiter, and it was, things were starting off pretty well. Um, you know, Annabeth was taking a walk with, uh, Reyna, and they were discussing some pretty meaningful things, like the bond, you could see that it was growing there. But, of course, it had to be, unfortunately, ruined, because it seems very suspicious, but when Leo and Octavian had gone to back to the ship to tour it, it seemed that Leo was under a spell, and Octavian had come under and started saying, you know, every they're after us. They're after us. The the Greeks are after us. They just want to destroy us, and that immediately led to a lot of distrust between Camp Jupiter and Camp Yeah Camp Half Blood. So basically, Leo was under the spell, which forced him to start firing cannons, which nobody thought was even built into the ship. So Leo started firing cannons at the city, and um terminus started started like tried to stop uh leo but that obviously did not work so percy and the others escaped with the um with annabeth leo jason and piper and now they're gonna have to come up with a plan on how they're going to reinstate the trust of the jupiter camp if they want to be gaia so now we're gonna read chapter five leo Leo wished he could invent a time machine. He'd go back two hours and undo what had happened. Either that, or he could invent a slap Leo in the face machine to punish him himself. Though he doubted it would hurt as badly as the look Annabeth was giving him. One more time, she said. Exactly what happened? Leo slumped against the mast. His head still throbbed from hitting the deck. All around him, his beautiful new ship was in shambles. The aft crossbows were piles of kindling. The foresail was tattered. The satellite array that powered the onboard internet and TV was blown to bits, which had really made Coach Hedge mad. The bronze dragon figurehead, Festus, was coughing up smoke like he had a hairball. And Leo could tell from the groaning sounds on the port side that some of the aerial oars had been knocked out of the alignment or broken off completely, which explained why the ship was listing and shuddering as it flew the engine wheezing like an asthmatic steam train. He choked back a sob. I don't know, it's fuzzy. Too many people were looking at him. Annabeth, Leo hated to make her angry, that girl scared him. Coach Hedge, with his furry goat legs, his orange polo shirt, and his baseball bat, did he have to carry that everywhere? And the newcomer, Frank. Leo wasn't sure what to make of Frank, He looked like a baby sumo wrestler, though Leo wasn't stupid enough to say that out loud. Leo's memory was hazy, but while he'd been half-conscious, he was pretty sure he'd seen a dragon land on the ship. A dragon that turned into Frank. Ambeth crossed her arms. You mean you don't remember? I... Leo felt like he was trying to swallow a marble. I remember, but... It's like I was watching myself do things. I couldn't control it. Coach Hedge tapped his bat against the deck. 
In his gym clothes, with his cap pulled over his horns, he looked just like he used to at the wilderness school, where he'd spent a year undercover as Jason Piper and Leo's PE teacher. The way the old satyr was glowering, Leo almost wondered if the coach was going to order him to do push-ups. Look, kid, Hedge said, you blew up some stuff. You attacked some Romans. Awesome. Excellent. But did you have to knock out the satellite channels? I was right in the middle of watching a cage match. Coach, Annabeth said, why don't you make sure all the fires are out? But I already did that. Do it again. The satyr trudged off, muttering under his breath. Even Hedge wasn't crazy enough to defy Annabeth. She knelt next to Leo. Her gray eyes were as steely as ball bearings. Her blonde hair fell loose around her shoulders. But Leo didn't find that attractive. He had no idea where the stereotype of dumb, giggly blondes came from. Ever since he'd met Annabeth at the Grand Canyon last winter, when she'd marched toward him with that give me Percy Jackson or I'll kill you expression, Leo thought of blondes as much too smart and much too dangerous. Leo, she said calmly, did Octavian trick you somehow? Did he frame you or... No, Leo could have lied and blamed that stupid Robin, but he didn't want to make a bad situation worse. The guy was a jerk, but he didn't fire on the camp. I did. The new kid, Frank, scowled. On purpose? No! Leo squeezed his eyes shut. Well, yes. I mean, I didn't want to, but at the same time, I felt like I wanted to. Something was making me do it. There was this cold feeling inside me. A cold feeling. Ambit's tone changed. She sounded almost... scared. Yeah, Leo said. Why? From below decks, Percy called up. Annabeth, we need you. Oh, gods. Leo thought, please let Jason be okay. As soon as they'd gotten on board, Piper had taken Jason below. The cut on his head had looked pretty bad. Leo had known Jason longer than anyone at Camp Half-Blood. They were best friends. If Jason didn't make it... He'll be fine. Annabeth's expression softened. Frank, I'll be back. Just watch Leo, please. Frank nodded. If it was possible for Leo to feel worse, he did. Annabeth now trusted a Roman demigod she'd known for like three seconds more than she trusted Leo. Once she was gone, Leo and Frank stared at each other. The big dude looked pretty odd in his bedsheet toga, with his gray pullover hoodie and jeans, and a bow and a quiver from the ship's armory slug slung over his shoulder. Leo remembered the time he had met the hunters of Artemis, a bunch of cute, lithe girls in silvery clothes, all armed with bows. He imagined Frank frolicking along the, with them. The idea was so ridiculous, it almost feel, made him feel better. So, Frank said, your name isn't Sammy? Leo scowled. What kind of question is that? Nothing, Frank said quickly. I just... nothing. About the firing on the camp, Octavian could be behind it, like magically or something. He didn't want the Romans getting along with you guys. Leo wanted to believe that. He was grateful to this kid for not hating him, but he knew it hadn't been Octavian. Leo had walked to a ballista and started firing. Part of him had knew, had known it was wrong. He'd asked himself, what the heck am I doing? But he'd done it anyway. Maybe he was going crazy. The stress of all those months working on the Argo II might have made him, finally made him crack. But he couldn't think about that. He needed to do something productive. His hands needed to be busy. Uh, look, he said, I should talk to Festus and get a damage report. 
You mind? Frank helped him up. Who is Festus? My friend, Leo said. His name isn't Festus either, in case you're one isn't Sammy either, in case you're wondering. Come on, I'll introduce you. Fortunately, the bronze dragon wasn't damaged. Well, aside from the fact that last winter he'd lost everything except his head, but Leo didn't count that. When they reached the bow of the ship, the figurehead turned 180 degrees to look at them. Frank yelped and backed away. It's alive, he said. Leo would have laughed if he hadn't felt so bad. Yeah, Frank, this is Festus. He used to be a full bronze dragon, but we had an accident. You have a lot of accidents, Frank noted. Well, some of us can't turn into dragons, so we have to build our own. Leo arched his eyebrows at Frank. Anyway, I've revived him as a figurehead. He's kind of the ship's main interface now. How are things looking, Festus? Festus snorted smoke and made a series of squeaking, whirring sounds. Over the last few months, Leo had learned to interpret this machine language. Other demigods could speak around, could understand Latin and Greek. Leo could speak creak and squeak. Ugh, Leo said. Could be worse, but the hull is compromised in several places. The port aerial oars have to be fixed again before we can go full speed again. We'll need some repair materials. Celestial bronze, tar, lime. What do you need limes for? Dude, lime, calcium carbonate used in cement and a bunch of other... Ah, never mind. The point is, the ship isn't going far unless we fix it. Festus made another click creaks noise that Leo didn't recognize. It sounded like Hazel. Oh, Hazel, he deciphered. That's the girl with the curly hair, right? Frank gulped. I is she okay? Yeah, she's fine, Leo said. According to Festus, her horse is tray racing along below. She's following us. We've got a lane then, Frank said. Leo studied him. She's your girlfriend? Frank chewed his lip. Yes. You don't sound sure. Yes. Yes, definitely. I'm sure. Leo raised his hands. Okay, fine. The problem is we can only manage one landing. The way the hull and the oars are, we won't be able to lift off again until we repair, so we'll have to make sure we land somewhere with all the right supplies. Frank scratched his head. Where do you get celestial bronze? You can't just stock up at Home Depot. Festus, do a scan. He can scan for magic bronze? Frank marveled. Is there anything he can't do? Leo thought, you should have seen him when he had a body. But he didn't say that. It was too painful remembering the way Festus used to be. Leo peered over the ship's bow. The central California Valley was passing below. Leo did not hold out much hope that they could find what they needed all in one place. But they had to try. Leo also wanted to put as much distance as possible between himself and New Rome. The Argo II would cover vast distances pretty quickly, thanks to its magical engine, but Leo figured the Romans had magic travel methods of their own. Behind him, the stairs creaked. Percy and Annabeth climbed up, their faces grim. Leo's heart stumbled. Is Jason... He's resting, Annabeth said. Piper's keeping an eye on him, but he should be fine. Percy gave him a hard look. Annabeth says, you did fire the ballista? Men, I don't understand how it happened. I'm so sorry. Sorry? Percy growled. Annabeth put a hand on her boyfriend's chest. We'll figure it out later. Right now, we have to regroup and make a plan. What's the situation with the ship? 
Leo's legs trembled. The way Percy had looked at him made him feel the same as when Jason summoned lightning. Leo's skin tingled, and every instinct in his body screamed, Duck! He told Annabeth about the damage and the supplies they needed. At least he felt better talking about something fixable. He was bemoaning the shortage of celestial bronze when Festus began to whir and squeak. Perfect. Leo sighed with relief. What's perfect? Annabeth said. I could use some perfect about now. Leo managed to smile. Everything we need in one place. Frank, why don't you turn to a bird or something? Fly down and tell your girlfriend to meet us at the Great Salt Lake in Utah. Once they got there, it wasn't a pretty landing. With the oars damaged and the foresail torn, Leo could barely manage a controlled descent. The others trapped themselves in below, except for Coach Hedge, who insisted on clinging to the forward rail, yelling, Yeah, bring it on, Lake! Leo stood astern, alone at the helm, and aimed as best as he could. Festus creaked in word warning signals, which were relayed through the intercom to the quarterdeck. I know, I know, Leo said, gritting his teeth. He didn't have much time to take in the scenery. To the southeast, the city was nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, blue and purple in the afternoon shadows. A flat desert land in the landscape spread to the south. Directly beneath them, the, gray, the gray salt lake littered like an aluminum foil. The shoreline etched with white salt marshes that reminded Leo of aerial photos of Mars. Hang on, coach, he shouted. This is going to hurt. I was born for hurt. Woom. A swell of salt water washed over the bow, dowsing Coach Hedge. The Argo II listed dangerously to starboard, then righted itself and rocketed, uh, rocked on the surface of the lake. Machinery hummed as the aerial blades that were still working changed to nautical form. Three banks of robotic oars dipped into the water and began moving them forward. Good job, Festus, Leo said. Take us toward the south shore. Yeah! Coach Hedge pumped his fists in the air. He was drenched from his horns to hooves, but grinning like a crazy goat. Do it again! Uh, maybe later, Leo said. Just stay above deck, okay? You can keep watch in case, you know, the lake decides to attack us or something. On it! Hedge promised. Leo rang the all-clear bell and headed for the stairs. Before he got there, a loud clump, clump, clump shook the hull. A tan stallion appeared on deck with Hazel Levesque on his back. How? Leo's question died in his throat. We're in the middle of a lake. Can that thing fly? The horse whinnied angrily. Arian can't fly, Hazel said, but he can run across just about anything. Water, vertical surfaces, small mountains... None of that bothers him. Oh. Hazel was looking at him strangely. The way she had during the feast in the forum, like she was searching for something in his face. He was tempted to, tempted to ask if they had met before, but he was sure they hadn't. He would remember a pretty girl paying such close attention to him. That didn't happen a lot. She's Frank's girlfriend, he reminded himself. Frank was still below, but Leo almost wished the big guy would come up the stairs. The way Hazel was studying Leo made him feel uneasy and self-conscious. Coach Edge crept forward with his baseball bat. I the magic horse. Suspiciously. Valdez, does this count as an invasion? No, Leo said. Um, Hazel, you'd better come with me. I built a stable below decks if Arian wants to. He's more of a free spirit, Hazel slipped out of the saddle. He'll graze around the lake until I call him, but I want to see the ship. Lead the way. The Argo II was designed like an ancient trireme. 
only twice as big. The first deck had one central corridor with crew cabins on either side. On a normal trireme, most of the space would have been taken up with three rows of benches for a few hundred sweaty guys to do the manual labor. But Leo's oars were automated and retractable, so they took up very little room inside the hull. The, ship, the ship's power came from the engine room on the second and lowest deck, which also housed sickbay, storage, and the stables. Leo led the way down the hall. He, bu he built the ship with eight, ca eight cabins, seven for the demigods of the prophecy, and a room for Coach Hedge. Seriously. Chiron considered him a responsible adult chaperone? At the stern was a large mess hall lounge, which was where Leo headed. On the way, they passed Jason's room. The door was open. Piper sat at the side of his berth, holding Jason's hand while he snored with an ice pack on his head. Piper glanced at Leo. She held a finger to, to her lips for quiet, but she didn't look angry. That was something Leo tried to force down his guilt, and they kept walking. When they reached the mess hall, they found the others. Percy, Annabeth, and Frank sitting dejectedly around the dining table. Leo had made the lounge as nice as possible, since he'd figured they'd be spending a lot of time there. The cupboard was lined with magic cups and plates from Camp Half-Blood, which would fill up with whatever food or drink you wanted on command. There's also a magical ice chest with canned drinks, perfect for picnics ashore. The, the chairs were cushy recliners with thousand-finger massage, built-in headphones and sword and drink holders for all your demigod-kicking back needs. There were no windows, but the walls were enchanted to show real-time footage from Camp Half-Blood. The beach, the forest, the strawberry fields... Although now Leo was wondering if this people made if this made people homesick rather than happy. Percy was staring longingly at a sunset view of Half Blood Hill, where the golden fleece glittered in the branches of the tall pine tree. So we've landed, Percy said. What now? Frank plucked on his bowstring. Figure out the prophecy? I mean, that was the prophecy Ella spoke, right, from the Sibylline books. The what? Leo asked. Frank explained how their harpy friend was freakishly good at memorizing books. At some point in the past, she'd inhaled a collection of ancient prophecies that had supposedly been destroyed around the fall of Rome. That's why you didn't tell the Romans, Leo guessed. You didn't want them to get a hold of her. Percy kept staring at the image of Half-Blood Hill. Ella's sensitive. She was a captive when we found her. I just didn't want... He made a fist. It doesn't matter now. I sent Tyson an Iris message, told him to take Ella to Camp Half-Blood. They'll be safer there. Leo doubted that any of them would be safe, now that he had stirred up, a, stirred up a camp of angry Romans on top of the problems they already had with Gaia and the Giants, but he kept quiet. Annabeth laced her fingers. Let me think about the prophecy, but right now we have more immediate problems. We have to get this ship fixed. Leo, what do we need? The easiest thing is tar. Leo said was glad to change the subject. We can get that in, a, in the city, at a roofing supply store or something like that. Also, celestial bronze and lime. According to Festus, we can buy and find both of those on an island in the lake, just west of here. We'll have to, we're hurry, Hazel warned. If I know Octavian, he's searching for us with his auguries. The Romans will send a strike force after us. It's a matter of honor. Leo felt everyone's eyes on him. Guys, I don't know what happened. Honestly, I... Ameth raised her hand. We've been talking. We agree it couldn't have been you, Leo. That cold feeling you mentioned? I felt it too. It must have been some sort of magic, either Octavian or Gaia, or one of her minions. But until we understand what happened, 
Frank grunted. How can we be sure that it won't happen again? Leo's fingers heated up like they were about to catch fire. One of his powers as a son of Hephaestus was that he could summon flames at will. But he had to be careful not to do so by accident, especially on a ship filled with explosives and flammable supplies. I'm fine now, he insisted, though he wished he could be sure. Maybe we should use the buddy system. Nobody goes anywhere alone. We can leave Piper and Coach Hedge on board with Jason, send one team into town to guitar. Another team can go after the bronze and the lime. Split up? Percy said. That sounds like a really bad idea. It'll be quicker, Hazel put in. Besides, there's a reason a quest is usually limited to three demigods, right? Annabeth raised her eyebrows, as if reappraising Hazel's merits. You're right. The same reason we needed the Argo II. Outside camp, seven, seven demigods in one place will attract way too much monstrous attention. The ship is designed to conceal and protect us. We should be safe enough on board, but if we go on expeditions, we shouldn't travel in groups larger than three. No sense alerting more of Gaia's minions than we have to. Percy didn't look happy about it, but he took Annabeth's hand. As long as you're my buddy, I'm good. Hazel smiled. Well, that's easy, Frank. You are amazing. Turning into a dragon? Could you do it again to fly Annabeth and Percy into town for the tar? For the tar? Frank opened his mouth like he wanted to protest. I, I suppose, but what about you? I'll ride Arian with... Su- with Leo here. She fidgeted with her sword hill, which made Leo uneasy. She had even more nervous energy than he did. We'll get the bronze in the lime. We can all meet back here by dark. Frank scowled. Obviously, he didn't like the idea of Leo going off with Hazel. For some reason, Frank's disapproval made Leo want to go. He had to prove he was trustworthy. He wasn't going to fire any random ballista again. Leo, said Annabeth. If we get the supplies, how long to fix the ship? With luck, just a few hours. Fine, she decided. We'll meet you back here as soon as possible, but stay safe. We could use some good luck. That doesn't mean we'll get it. And that's the end of chapter five. I am placing a lot of my doubts on Octavian for the behind why, like how exactly Leo got possessed. Because, you know, Octavian had a really strong incentive of not wanting the Greeks to reunite with the Romans. So it only makes sense that he would be behind something like this. But we'll have to keep reading to truly uh, find out the cause. But that's just my opinion for now. So after the non-existent ads and non-existent break, we will read chapter 6 and see how the rest of this chapter goes and if they're able to get all the materials they need or are they going to face yet another monster. And we're back from the non-existent ads, and now we're going to read chapter 6, Leo. Riding Arian was the best thing that had happened to Leo all day, which wasn't saying much, since his day had sucked. The horse's hooves turned the surface of the lake to salty mist. Leo put his hand against the horse's side and felt the muscles working like a well-oiled machine. For the first time, he understood why car engines were measured in horsepower. Arian was a four-legged Maserati. Ahead of them lay an island. A line of sand so white it might have been pure table salt. Behind that rose an expanse of gray, gra- of grassy dunes and weathered boulders. Leo sat behind Hazel, one arm around her waist. 
The close contact made him a little uncomfortable, but it was the only way he could stay on board, or whatever you called it with a horse. Before they left, Percy had pulled him aside to tell him Hazel's story. Hazel, Percy made it sound like he was just doing Leo a favor, but there'd been an undertone like, if you mess with my friend, I will personally feed you to a great white shark. According to Percy, Hazel was a daughter of Pluto. She died in the 1940s and been brought back to life only a few months ago. Leo found that hard to believe. Hazel seemed warm and very alive, not like the ghosts or the other reborn mortals Leo had tangled with. She seemed good with people too, unlike Leo who was much more comfortable with machines. Living stuff, like horses and girls, he had no idea what made them work. Hazel was also Frank's girlfriend, so Leo knew he should keep his distance. Still, her hair smelled good and riding with her made his heart race almost against his will. Must have been the speed of the horse. Arian thundered onto the beach. He stomped his hooves and whinnied triumphantly, like Coach Hedge yelling a battle cry. Hazel and Leo dismounted. Arian pawed the sand. He needs to eat, Hazel explained. He likes gold, but gold? Leo asked. He'll settle for grass. Go on, Arian. Thanks for the ride. I'll call you. Just like that, the horse was gone. Nothing left but a steaming trail across the lake. Fast horse, Leo said. An expensive to feed. Not really, Hazel said. Gold is easy for me. Leo raised his eyebrows. How is gold easy? Please tell me you're not related to King Midas. I don't like that guy. Hazel pursed her lips as if she regretted raising the subject. Never mind. That made Leo even more curious, but he denied. he decided it might be better not to press her. He knelt and cupped a handful of white sand. Well, one problem solved anyway. This is lime. Hazel frowned. The whole beach? Yeah, see? The granules are perfectly round. It's not really sand, it's calcium carbonate. Leo pulled his ziplock back from his tool belt and dug his hand into the lime. Suddenly, he froze. He remembered the time, all, all the times the earth goddess, Gaia, had appeared to him in the ground. Her sleeping face made of dust or sand or dirt. She loved to taunt him. He imagined her closed eyes and her dreaming smile swirling in the white calcium. Walk away, little hero, Gaia said. Without you, the ship cannot be fixed. Leo, Hazel asked. You okay? He took a shaky breath. Gaia wasn't here. He was just freaking himself out. Yeah, he said. Yeah, fine. He started to fill the bag. Hazel knelt next to him and helped. We should have brought a pail and shovels. The, the idea cheered Leo up. He even smiled. We could have made a sand castle. A lime castle. Their eyes locked for a second too long. Hazel looked away. You are so much like... Sammy, Leo guessed. She fell backward. You know? I have no idea who Sammy is, but Frank asked me if I was sure that wasn't my name. And it, it isn't? No, jeez. You don't have a twin brother, or... Hazel stopped. Is your family from New Orleans? Nah, Houston. Why? Is Sammy a guy you used to know? It, it's nothing. You just look like him. Leo could tell she was too embarrassed to say more. But if Hazel was a kid from the past, did that mean Sammy was from the 1940s? If so, how could Frank know the guy? And why would Hazel think Leo was Sammy? All these decades later. 
They finished filling the bag in silence. Leo stuffed it in his tool belt and the bag vanished. No weight, no mass, no volume. Though Leo knew it would be there as soon as he reached for it. Anything that could fit into the pockets, Leo could tote around. He loved his tool belt. He just wished the pockets were large enough for a chainsaw or maybe a bazooka. He stood and scanned the island. Bleach white dunes, blackened blankets of grass and boulders encrusted with salt-like frosting. Festus said there was celestial bronze close by, but I'm not sure where. That way, Hazel pointed up the beach, about 500 yards. How do you... Precious metals, Hazel said. It's a Pluto thing. Leah remembered what she'd said about gold being easy. Handy talent. Lead the way, Miss Metal Detector. The sun began to set. The sky turned a bizarre mix of purple and yellow. In another reality, Leo might have enjoyed a walk on the beach with a pretty girl, but the farther they went, the edgier he felt. Finally, Hazel turned inland. You sure this is a good idea? He asked. We're close, she promised. Come on. Just over the dunes, they saw the woman. She sat on a boulder in the middle of a grassy field. A black and chrome motorcycle was parked nearby, but each of the wheels had a big pie slice removed from the spokes and rim, so that they'd resemble Pac-Man. No way was the bike drivable in that condition. The woman had curly black hair and a bony frame. She wore black leather biker's pants, tall leather boots, and a blood-red leather jacket. Sort of a Michael Jackson joins the Hells Angels look. Around her feet, the ground was littered with what looked like broken shells. She was hunched over, pulling new ones out of a sack and cracking them open. Shocking oysters? Leo wasn't sure if there were oysters in the Great Salt Lake. He didn't think so. He was he wasn't anxious to approach. He had he'd had bad experiences with strange ladies. His old baby sister, Tia Kalida, had turned out to be Hera and had a nasty habit of putting him down for naps in a blazing fireplace. The earth goddess Gaia had killed his mother in a workshop fire when Leo was eight. The snow goddess Keon had tried to turn him into a frozen dairy treat in Sonoma. But Hazel forged ahead. So he didn't have much choice except to follow. As they got closer, Leo noticed disturbing details. Attached to the woman's belt was a curled whip. Her leather, her red leather jacket had a subtle design to it. Twisted branches of an apple tree populated with skeletal birds. The oysters she was chucking were actually fortune cookies. A pile of broken cookies lay ankle deep all around her. She kept pulling new ones from her sack, cracking them open and reading the fortunes. Most she tossed aside, a few made her mutter unhappily. She would swipe her finger over the slip of paper like she was smudging it, then magically reseal the cookie and toss it into a nearby basket. What are you doing? Leo asked before he could stop himself. The woman looked up. Leo's lungs filled so fast he thought they might burst. Aunt Rosa? He asked. It didn't make sense, but this woman looked exactly like his aunt. She had the same broad nose with a mole on one side, the same sour mouth and hard eyes. But it couldn't be Rosa. She would never wear clothes like that. And she was still down in Houston. As far as Leo knew, she wouldn't be cracking open fortune cookies in the middle of the Greensaw Lake. Is that what you see? The woman asked. Interesting. And you, Hazel, my dear? How did you... Hazel stepped back in alarm. You look like Mrs. Lear, my third grade teacher. I hated you. The woman cackled. Excellent. You resented her, eh? She judged you unfairly? 
you. She taped my hands to the desk for misbehaving. Hazel said. She called my mother a witch. She blamed me for everything I didn't do. And no, she has to be dead. Who are you? Oh, Leo knows, the woman said. How do you feel about Aunt Rosa, Mijo? Mijo. That's what Leo's mom had always called him. After his mom died, Rosa had rejected Leo. She'd called him a devil child. She blamed him for the fire that killed her sister. Rosa had turned his family against him and left him. A scrawny orphan eight-year-old had mercy of social services. Leo had bounced around from foster home to foster home until he finally found a camp at Camp Half-Blood. Leo didn't hate many people, but after all these years, Aunt Rosa's face made him boil with resentment. How did he feel? He wanted to get even. He wanted revenge. His eyes drifted to the motorcycle with the Pac-Man wheels, where he had seen something like that before. Cabin 16, back at Camp Half-Blood. The symbol above their door was a broken wheel. Nemesis, he said. You're the goddess of revenge. You see, the goddess smiled at Hazel. He recognizes me. Nemesis cracked another cookie and wrinkled her nose. You'll have great fortune when you least expect it, she read. That's exactly the sort of nonsense I hate. Someone's open, someone opens a cookie, and suddenly they have a prophecy that they'll be rich. I blame, I blame that tri- tramp, Tyke. Tyke? Always dispensing good luck to people who don't deserve it. Leo looked at the mound of broken cookies. Uh... You know those aren't real prophecies, right? They're just stuffed in the cookies at some factory. Don't try to excuse it, Nemesis snapped. It's just like Taiki to uh, it's just like Taiki to get people's hopes up. No, no, I must count her. Nemesis flicked a finger over the slip of paper, and the letters changed to red. You will die painfully when you most expect it. There, much better. That's horrible, Hazel said. You let someone read that in the fortune cookie, and it would come true. Nemesis sneered. It really was creepy, seeing that expression on Aunt Rosa's face. My dear Hazel, haven't you wished for? Uh, haven't you ever wished horrible things on Mrs. Leaguer for the way she treated you? That doesn't mean I want. I'd want them to come true. Bah! The goddess resealed the cookie and tossed into her basket. Tyke would be Fortuna for you. I suppose being Roman like the others, she's in a horrible way right now. Me. I'm not affected. I'm called nemesis in both Greek and Roman. I do not change because revenge is universal. What are you talking about? Leo asked. What are you doing here? Nemesis opened another cookie. Lucky numbers. Ridiculous. That's not even a proper fortune. She crushed the the cookie and scattered the pieces around her feet. To answer your question, Leo Valdez, the gods are in terrible shape. It always happens when a civil war is brewing between you Romans and Greeks. The Olympians are torn between their, between their two natures, called on both by both sides. They become quite schizophrenic, I must, I'm afraid. Splitting headaches, disorientation. But we're not at war, Leo insisted. Um, Hazel? I mean, Leo? Uh, Hazel winced. Except for the fact that you recently blew up large sections of New Rome. Leo stared at her, wondering whose side she was on. Not on purpose! I know, Hazel said, but the Romans don't realize that, and they'll be pursuing us in retaliation. Nemesis cackled. <laughs> Leo, listen to the girl. War is coming. Gaia has seen to it, with your help. And can you guess whom the gods blame for their predicament? 
Leo's mouth tastes like calcium carbonate. Me. The goddess snorted. Well, don't you just have a high opinion of yourself? You're just a high paw. You're just a pawn on the chessboard, Leo Valdis. I was referring to the player who set this ridiculous question in motion, bringing the Greeks and Romans together. The gods blame Hera, or Juno, if you prefer. The queen of the heavens has fled Olympus to escape the wrath of her family. Don't expect any more help from your patron. Leo's head throbbed. He had mixed feelings about Hera. She'd meddled in his life since he was a baby, molding him to serve her purpose in this big prophecy. But at least she had been on their side, more or less. If she was out of the if she was out of the picture now. So why are you here? he asked. Why to offer my help? Nemesis asked, smiled wickedly. Leo glanced at Hazel. She looked like she'd just been offered a free snake. Your help, Leo said. Of course, said the goddess. I enjoy tearing down the proud and proud or powerful. And there are none who deserve tearing down like Gaia and her giants. Still, I must warn you that I will not suffer undeserved success. Good luck is a sham. The Wheel of Fortune is a Ponzi scheme. True success requires sacrifice. Sacrifice? Hazel's voice was tight. I lost my mother. I died and came back. Now my mother and brother is missing. Is that, isn't that enough sacrifice for you? Leo could totally relate. He wanted to scream that he's lost his mom too. His whole life had been one misery after another. He lost his dragon, Festus. He'd nearly kill himself trying to finish the Argo II. Now he'd fired on the Roman camp, most likely started a war, and maybe lost the trust of his friends. Right now, he said, trying to control his anger, all I want is some celestial bronze. Oh, that's easy, Nemesis said. It's just over the rise. You'll find it with the sweethearts. Wait, Hazel said. What sweethearts? Nemesis popped a cookie in her mouth and swallowed it, fortune and all. You'll see. Perhaps they will teach you a lesson, Hazel Levesque. Most heroes cannot escape their nature, even when giving a second chance at life. She smiled. And speaking of your brother, Nico, you don't have much time. Let's see. It's June 25th. Yes, after today, six more days, then he dies along with this entire city of Rome. Hazel's eyes widened. How? What? And as for you, child of fire, she turned to Leo. Your worst hardships are yet to come. You will always be the outsider, the seventh wheel. You will not find a place among your brethren. Soon you'll face a problem you cannot solve. Though I cannot help you, though I could help you, it's for a price. Leo smelled smoke. He realized fingers on his left hand were ablaze, and Hazel was staring uh, staring at him in terror. He shoved his hand in his pocket to extinguish the flames. I'd like to solve my own problems. Very well. Nemesis brushed cookie dust off her jacket. But, um, what sort of price are we talking about? The goddess shrugged. One of my children recently traded an eye for the ability to make a real difference in the world. Leo's stomach churned. You... You want an eye? In your case, perhaps, another sacrifice would do, but something just as painful. Here, she handed him an unbroken fortune cookie. If you need an answer, break this. It will solve your problem. Leo's hand trembled as he held the fortune cookie. What problem? You'll know when time comes. No thanks, Leo said firmly, but his own hand, as though it had a will of its own, slipped the cookie into his tool belt. Nemesis said, Nemesis picked another cookie from her bag and cracked it open. 
You'll have cause to reconsider your choices soon. Oh, I like that one. No changes needed here. She resealed the cookie and tossed it into the basket. Very good, few gods will be will be able to help you on the quest. Most are already incapa- incapacit- incapacitated, and their confusion will only grow worse. One thing might bring unity to Olympus again. An old wrong finally avenged. Ah, uh, that would be sweet indeed. The scales finally balanced, but it'll not happen unless you accept my help. I suppose you won't tell us what you're talking about, Hazel muttered, or why my brother Nico has only six days to lift, or why Rome is going to be destroyed. Nemesis chuckled. She rose and slung her sack of cookies over her shoulder. Oh, it's all tied together, Hazel Levesque. As for my offer, Leo Valdez, give it some thought. You're a good child, a hard worker. We could do business, but I have detained you for too long. You should visit the reflecting pool before the light fades. My poor, cursed boy gets quite agitated when the darkness comes. Leo didn't like the sound of that, but the the goddess climbed on her motorcycle. Apparently, it was drivable, despite those Pac-Man-shaped wheels, because Nemesis revved her engine and disappeared in a mushroom cloud of black smoke. Hazel bent down. All the broken cookies and fortunes had disappeared except for one crumbled slip of paper. She picked it up and read, You will see yourself reflected, and you will have reason to despair. Fantastic, Leo grumbled. Let's go see what that means. And that's the end of chapter six. Wow, that was by an amazing episode. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation that Leo and hazel had with um nemesis because in some ways or another nemesis kind of reminds me of hera so this is kind of like an indirect conversation with hera herself and i feel like it was a really cool way to like see it from that perspective so while i was reading it i was like wow like you know it's it kind of seems like leo and hazel are talking to hera and not really any other goddess But yeah, that's maybe like, you know, they have similar mindsets, similar personalities. We never know. Um, Hopefully I did. Hopefully I did well. We had some new words in this chapter. So I will try my best to pronounce them to the best of my ability. And if you guys really enjoyed this podcast, this episode, um, and you want to give some extra support, make sure to go to the the Patreon linked in the description of my bio. Uh, and you'll be able to find it there. So if you guys want to donate some, then, you know, go ahead. And I'd really like to thank all of you guys who are already patrons on there. And you guys are doing immensely, you are giving immense support to me. And I really appreciate y'all for that. Um, yeah, other than that, uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Thank you guys for, you know, uh, being able to share your time with me. And I hope I made the best use of it. So until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.